Okay, Dana, look, I'll take one for the team, too. We'll both take one for the team. You and I will both agree <laughs> that we'll wear a diaper. Not the same diaper, different different diapers. <laughs> well, if it's the same, then I'm wearing it first. <laughs> I'll send it to you. <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. We are taking you on a trip through 79 episodes of one of the best sci-fi shows of all time. Your hosts for this adventure, Dan Calzretta and Dana Smith. How's it going, Dan? Going great, Dana. I had a great weekend. How about you? Yeah, pretty good. Can't complain. Going on vacation in a couple of weeks, so looking forward to that. Nice. Are you going to Canada by any chance? Uh, no, going the opposite direction. Florida. Ah, Florida. So what are you going to do in Florida? I've got some family down there and uh, just hang out, relax, uh, soak up some sun. So, Dan, you were being a judge this weekend, weren't you? Yeah, Dana. I was in Seattle, actually, judging the regionals for the National Homebrew Competition, which is in June. But because so many beers get submitted to that competition, they have to have beers first kind of do a regional competition and the winners from that then will go on to the competition in June. Well, that's awesome. Keep up being the judge. I want to get a robe. And a gavel. And a gavel. She's got like, just hit the gavel when the beer is really good or really bad or... Dispense some justice on that beer. That's a... <laughs> <laughs> so last week, Dan, we uh, reviewed the Apple. There was a, a lot of comments about that episode that we got. Some people said it was the it was worse than the alternative factor. Uh, a couple people said it's worse than Spock's brain, which uh, we haven't gotten to yet. Right. And a few others said that they thought it was one of the best episodes of season two. Are they watching the same series we're watching, Dana? <laughs> and then and maybe they thought they were watching Apple TV. And so that's what they were we were talking about. So. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. There was a few people in the middle, but I'd say the haters kind of outweighed the lovers uh, of this episode. Oh, I'm sure. We won't go through all the comments tonight. Uh, we talked about the Prime Directive, whether that was violated. And uh, Lynn Price commented that the residents of Gamma Triangulae 6 didn't seem like they would have been intelligent enough to create a Val. Instead, Val kind of controls them. Some earlier advanced culture most likely had built Val. And Graham Cree replied to that. And that's why the Prime Directive did not apply here. The culture had already been interfered with, and Kirk just undid that interference. We did determine that for our own count that this is a violation of the Prime Directive, right? We did, yeah. Like from the minute the show opened. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have any question about it. It doesn't mean we're right. I mean, you know, that was just our opinion. Dan, uh, do you have another comment that we wanted to share? Oh, yeah. Matt Fleming, who's who's a faithful listener and writes in about almost every episode that we do. He said, guys, I was about to piss my pants this week laughing. <laughs> I guess I need some of those adult diapers if I'm going to listen to your podcast. If you can snag this sponsorship, maybe you can work old Schmitter into the advertising. <laughs> you know, Dan, when we first came upon Schmitter... I knew that was going to stick around for a couple episodes. I had no idea it would carry on for so long and that our uh, loyal listeners would be so adamant that it carries on. So Yeah. Now, we did have a listener at one point said that she thought we were overdoing the Schmitter thing a little bit. I mean, I can see that, I suppose, but I don't know. I still find Schmitter funny. I can't get the line out of my head. Schmitter. Like the rest of you. Burn to a crisp. 
As always, thanks for all the comments and the compliments. We always appreciate that. Any input uh, discussion is good, and we'd like to uh, put your names out there if we can. So thanks again. Now, Dan, it's time to move on to the Doomsday Machine. So we start off as the Enterprise picks up a faint but garbled distress signal, and it's apparently a starship's disaster beacon. Communications officer, who's not Uhura, is unable to make out any words aside from constellation. Yeah, where is she in this episode? She was on vacation. Because she wasn't in last week's either, was she? No. Yeah, what's going on with that? She was becoming quite popular. I'm sure that uh, probably doing magazine shoots and movies and talking to Martin Luther King. I meant the character, not the actress. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, where do all of our characters go? When they're not on the show, yeah, that's that was uh, that was my question. So where do they go? Wrigley's Pleasure Planet. That's well, where but, they all go, right? Well, that would be really <laughs> good, but they'd have to get there. And how does that happen? I mean, in the next generation, they've got the holodeck. They've got some entertainment stuff that happens. We don't really see that to any great extent in the original series. I mean, they have the rec room, but you're not going to spend like a week there, you know. <laughs> Spock reports that system L-370 has been destroyed. All seven planets in the system have been destroyed, smashed to rubble. Proceeding to system L-374, they find the same thing. Debris where there once were healthy planets. All the systems in the sector have been destroyed, except for the two inner planets in L-374. So again, Dan, we start off with a mystery And as they're flying through the system, we see like huge just chunks of rock coming toward the view screen, that kind of thing. People clinging onto the rock to go by. (laughs) Help me! (laughs) See somebody get smashed into the view screen (laughs) like a bug on the windshield. (laughs) What if they got windshield wipers? No, Sulu has to go out there like and just clean it. (laughs) Yeah, just open up the side window. (laughs) Reaching out with a squeegee. With a squeegee. In L-374, they find the USS Constellation, commanded by Commodore Matt Decker. It's now just drifting, and it seems to be abandoned. So since they're unable to determine what caused all this damage to the Constellation, Kirk immediately assumes it was attacked, and he puts the ship on red alert. Well, and we kind of get a view of it, right? Off in the distance. You can tell something's wrong. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's all like cockeyed. It's funny because the next scene, Kirk is standing in front of a sign. It's a big red flashing sign and it says condition alert in red. And so I was wondering if it's like a yellow alert, if that sign flashes yellow. Kirk decides to board the Constellation. Uh, He's going to take McCoy and Scotty and three other crewmen aboard with him. So they beam over and the ship looks quite beat up. Kirk reports back to Spock, who's in command of the Enterprise, that there are no survivors and no bodies either. Scotty and his team check the engine room and determine the warp drives are a hopeless pile of junk. Says the impulse engines are barely usable and the phaser banks are out. And he suggests they must have put up quite a fight. Can Scotty ever catch a break? You know, it's like, Captain, everything's working just fine. Everything looks good. We're good to go. Don't worry. Hey, Dana, we we both really need to work on our Scotty impressions. Those are bad, both of them. You weren't even trying. I didn't even think. It sounded like you were not even trying, Dana. There was one where I tried a little bit and you said that was really good. Yeah, it was last week. It was like you said one or two words. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I was just going to say. If I can keep it just down to like two words, (laughs) I I think I can pull it off. 
I think you're right. Oh, uh, you captain. That still sound like too much of a pirate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got your dilithium crystals right here, captain. <laughs> that might have been a little closer. Something to work on. I'll start practicing on my way into work every day. Yeah, yeah, you should, yeah. They go to the auxiliary control room and Kirk spots Mac Decker. And Decker says, that thing. And then he goes into shock and Kirk acts like he's ready to beat the crap out of him. Right, <laughs> yeah. He's like, Decker, what was it? What was it? He's like, got his fists clenched and he's like leaning into him. So McCoy says he's in a state of shock. Then Scotty finds the duplicate log of uh, Commodore Decker's. And Kirk says he wants a full analysis of these logs and orders that they get these logs to Spock. Right. And when he kept talking about an analysis of the logs, I was thinking, you know, in the future, I guess they don't have to do colonoscopies. <laughs> yeah, they just go and look at the logs. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> so Decker starts saying that they tried to contact Starfleet. And they couldn't run. And Kirk asks what happened. And Decker says... They say there's no devil, Jim, but there is a... Right out of hell, I saw it! And Kirk asks, where's your crew? And he says he beamed him down to the third planet. There is no third planet. Don't you think I know that? There was, but not anymore. They called me, they begged me for help, 400 of them. Decker says the whole thing is a weapon. It must be. It's miles long with a maw that could swallow a dozen starships, a planet killer. You know, the, the, the word maw, he, he means like a mouth, right? Yeah. But you, you never hear that word. That's kind of a cool word. Yeah, it's uh, old timey. It is old timey. Yeah. Spock says that from the tapes, he learned that the planet killer, a robot, an automated weapon of immense size and power. It smashes up the planets and uses the debris for fuel. That's kind of a little bit of a leap, don't you think? That he just determined that it's a robot? Yeah, and that it uses the debris for fuel. Yeah. How would you know that? But hey, he's Spock. I'm not going to question him. Kirk asks, where is it heading? And Sulu has projected the path of the planet eater and says it will go through the most densely populated part of our galaxy, meaning... Our solar system, our galaxy, right? Like Earth, Mars, Venus. I mean, the galaxy and the solar system are two different things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, our solar system are the planets that revolve around our sun. Yeah. I should say orbit our sun. But the galaxy is made up of billions and billions of stars. That's a good Carl Sagan. <laughs> it sounded more like a Muppet. <laughs> <laughs> No, so our galaxy is made up of, you know, who knows, several billion stars. So we are one star among several billion in the Milky Way. You seem skeptical of this, Dana. No, I'm trying to keep from yawning. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this was the problem I had in science class in high school, by the way. It was just, you know, as soon as somebody started explaining something technically, I was blow uh, asleep. <laughs> <laughs> it's not really technical. It just has to do with one solar system or billions. I mean, it's pretty easy, really. Kind of great you get in that science class, by the way. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> my old science teacher's probably listening to this going, oh, yeah, I remember Dana. <laughs> that guy. Sleepy Dana, we call them. Yeah, but yeah, so I mean... Our galaxy, though, means it's going to go through, I took it to mean our solar system. Well, I mean, it depends on what the most densely populated part of our galaxy is. We're out on a spiral arm. This is another thing you probably fell asleep, you know, in science class. But our, 
<laughs> Hard galaxies. I don't want to. Don't let your head hit the microphone. It's really annoying for the listeners. Um, <laughs> so we're on an arm. We're kind of on an arm. Yeah. You said you said we extend out like an arm. Yeah, we're on one of the arms of the spiral gal- of the galaxy that is the Milky Way. So the Milky Way has arms. Does it have legs? Is there a head? Interestingly, there is a black hole right in the middle <laughs> of the galaxy. Yeah, but this black hole is pulling stuff in, not shooting stuff out. I mean, it's maw. If it turns out that our solar system is indeed in the most heavily populated part of the galaxy, then yes, we're going to be in the path of this planet eater. Well, I would think at some point in time, this planet eater is going to make it to our solar system. Yeah, probably. Yeah. I think that's what the threat was. Okay. So we spent about 12 minutes now, maybe 13, (laughs) of which 11 and a half will not make it into the podcast, (laughs) just to say, yes, you're right. But yeah, you're right. It's all about me being right, Dan. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So McCoy says it's incredible. Why would anyone build this? And Kirk says, Bones, did you ever hear of a doomsday machine? No, I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Yeah, that was really good. I I didn't remember that we had one in this episode, did you? But it doesn't really work. It's kind of, you ever hear the doomsday machine? Well, I guess, yeah, it's a machine. So that's why, you know, oh, is that a thing I need like a wrench for? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it was a bit of a stretch, but hey, we got one though. Yeah, yeah, that's all that really matters. So the funny thing is, Dan, I don't know if you noticed this, there's a like a corrugated screen or uh, something at the back of the room where Scotty and Washburn are. Yes, I remember that, yeah. They are like facing into the room and they just stand there like dummies, like they got nothing else to do. It's just weird because I first thought there was something wrong with them when I was watching this show. Like maybe they had been overtaken by aliens or become possessed or something, you know? Yeah, I didn't notice that. So you're saying when McCoy and Kirk were talking, those guys are just standing there like not doing anything. Yeah. Maybe it was break time. I mean, they're union actors, right? They, They, I think they have breaks. If you're on screen, you're getting paid for your time. So you better be doing something. Have you ever had a union card, like a actor's union card? No. Oh, but so for acting, you were a scab. Yeah. Taking jobs away from union actors. Where I was doing acting, there was no union actors. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people would say there was no actors. Period. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Kirk goes on to explain it's a weapon, primarily a bluff, never really meant to be used. It's something that could destroy both sides in a war. Now, remember how just a couple of minutes ago we said we thought it was a little bit of a leap for Spock to say (laughs) the things he did? This is like times that by about a million and you get to what Kirk just said. Like, how does he know any of that stuff? Yeah, you think about it and it's like, what what was there to make him say this is a doomsday mission? So Decker stands up and says, forget about your theories. That thing is out there and it's headed towards our galaxy. What are you going to do about it? And so they decide to beam Decker aboard the Enterprise and tow the constellation behind. And Decker argues, but Kirk convinces him and that he will stay on the constellation while McCoy and Decker beam up to the Enterprise. And also on the constellation will be Scotty and some some engineering team too, is that right? Yeah. So next thing we see is Decker and McCoy get beamed aboard the Enterprise just as the red alert sounds. They both run to the bridge. Spock is reporting to Kirk, who is still on the constellation, that Decker's planet killer just came up behind them fast. And we see the image. To me, it looked like a lamprey eel. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's a great visual. Yeah. Or a cannoli. 
Well, it, it, a bad cannoli, like a misshapen cannoli. It also kind of looked like an ice cream cone on its side with no ice cream in it. Oh, like a sugar cone. Like a sugar cone. Yes. Gotcha. So sensors indicate it's some kind of total conversion drive, according to Spock. So, Dan. Yes. Obviously, you didn't fall asleep in science class. Tell me about a conversion drive. Well, Dana, you see, a conversion drive is when religious organizations go door to door to try to convert you. That's a conversion drive. So you think this uh, thing that's sneaking up behind them isn't trying to kill them, it's trying to convert it, convert the enterprise to its religion. Yeah, in this case, the way it converts them is it eats them. Well, that's one way to get you on board. With its maw. They prepare to beam Kirk and Scotty and Washburn up to the ship when the alien vessel fires on them. And the Enterprise is rocked. The Constellation is knocked free of the Enterprise. And afterwards, Spock reports that they cannot beam them up. Communication is damaged as well. Sulu reports that the alien ship is back on course to the next solar system, and it's the Rigel colonies. Spock gives Sulu orders to go back to the Constellation and retrieve the captain. Commodore Decker says they should pursue the alien and orders Sulu to do as much. Decker says he is assuming command of the Enterprise, and Spock says, you have the right to do so, but I would advise against it. And he points out the Commodore tried to destroy the alien before. You tried to destroy it once before, Commodore. The result was a wrecked ship and a dead crew. Man, that was harsh. That was really harsh. But you know, sometimes you just need to hear the, the real truth. Here's the funny thing, though, Dana. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're trying to be serious talk about this episode. Last week, we talk about adult diapers for I don't know how much of the show. <laughs> and it's freaking hilarious. And now, like, we try to be, you know, a little bit more serious and we can't pull it off. It's one of those nights. It just seems to be one of those nights. We might have to record this again tomorrow night. Oh, God, no. 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 <laughs> I mean, I mean, Dana, look, there's no diapers in the show to talk about like last week. I think Decker was, had been wearing diapers. Oh, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, he had to because they'd been there for a while. Yeah, he put his whole crew down and he was in the auxiliary command center, whatever it was. Right. He wasn't going to leave his post, so he sit there and soil himself. I bet he was ripe, just ripe. Why do you think Kirk was like, you go back to the ship. <laughs> Get yourself cleaned up. <laughs> yeah. Take the doctor with you because you're going to have some like diaper rash or something going on there. <laughs> so, Dana, like the astronauts, when they went to the moon, they, they had some type of diaper system, didn't they? I have no idea. I mean, I don't think the Apollo craft had a toilet and I don't think the lunar module no, had a toilet. And they weren't digging a hole and taking a crap on the moon. I mean, you know. Wow. First thing that came up, how did the Apollo astronauts use the bathroom? There was no bathroom on the Apollo missions. Instead, NASA astronauts peed into a roll-on cuff and pooped in bags that were kneaded, rolled up tight, and took back to Earth. Why didn't they just throw it out the window? Yeah, their windows didn't roll down. Oh, so wait, I, I don't quite understand this. They pooped into a bag. Okay, does that mean... I mean, how did this work? It, it wasn't a diaper. It was like they took off their spacesuit or whatever they were wearing, and they pulled out like a Ziploc and... Maybe it's something like they had, you know, their, their suits were really bulky. So maybe they had like a whole chain of them, like on their backside. And so you just kind of like pull it through to the next one. It kind of clicks and then the bag opens up and you, you poop and then you just pull it up and unhook it up front, zip it tight, roll it up. <laughs> I'm just trying to picture this mechanism. It's got a little crank on the side. <laughs> roll it up. Oh, God. <laughs> Hey, uh, hey, Neil, can you crank me up a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> Talking about going where no man's gone before. 
Seems like a diaper would have just been easier. We've determined, I think, that they didn't wear diapers on the Apollo moon mission. Is that what we've determined? That's what we determined, Dan. The reason I brought this up, Dana, is you mentioned Commodore Decker getting diaper rash. And I was just wondering, (laughs) did the astronauts get diaper rash? And I guess the answer is no, because they didn't use a diaper. I wonder if that was an option, though. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's like, hey, do you want to poop in a bag and bring it back with you? Or just poop in your adult diaper. What would you do? I'd be afraid of diaper rash. You see the the capsule. You didn't have a lot of room to move around. I mean, how did you get out of your suit? Well, I mean, once they were in space, they didn't have to wear the whole space suit anymore. They were just in... Jumpsuits or... Yeah, whatever. Yeah. You know, now they do, however, when they're on spacewalks, they do have diapers. Because you're not just, you know, dropping trow, <laughs> pinch a loaf in the middle of a spacewalk. I mean, that thing would freeze immediately. Your ass would freeze immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever else you had hanging out. <laughs> that thing entering the atmosphere, you know. Is it a meteorite? <laughs> it's a corporalite. Isn't that what a fossilized dinosaur poop is called? Corporalite? See, Dan, that's another class I fell asleep in. <laughs> what is this conversation? Wow. Okay, so no diapers except on spacewalks. Okay. All right, let's maybe we should move on. Look at the things we learn on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, people are learning a lot about stuff. <laughs> Why they don't want to listen to our podcast. Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if these guys would just stick to the show, just stick to the show. So Decker says he will not make the same mistake as before, as they were too far away. He intends to hit it with full phasers up close. So Spock says that the alien ship is solid neutronium and will not be affected by the phasers. Decker says, you have been relieved of command. This scene was really good, I thought. You know, very tense, very tightly scripted. The cuts back and forth between Decker and Spock and McCoy, I thought were really well done. So the Enterprise quickly catches up to the alien. And on the Constellation, we see Kirk is affecting repairs. Scotty says, the impulse engines are a mess. And Kirk suggests using the warp drive circuits to manage the impulse engines. Scotty says, I can do it. (laughs) See, that was good. And that was four words. But it will make the ship tough to handle. Eh, Not so good that time. So the Enterprise is close to the alien, and the alien fires on them again. Spock reports that the deflectors are damaged, and they can't take another hit like that. On the Constellation, they're nearly ready to try the impulse engines. Kirk struggles to get an image on the screen, and then he, when he does, he sees the Enterprise firing phasers on the alien. And he asks, what the hell is going on? The Enterprise gets hit again. Palmer reports that uh, severe casualties on decks three and four. And then they get rocked again. And then all of a sudden the firing stops. Spock reports that they're in a tractor beam and being pulled inside. Into the maw. The Constellation fires at the beast and the Enterprise is able to break free. Now, did you see this? Sulu and the other helmsmen are like bouncing in their seat. Yes. And nobody else on the bridge is even moving. Right. <laughs> Not even like swaying a little bit. Yeah. It's funny because they like bounce a little bit and then they just kind of stop. Palmer reports that the ship to ship communication is working again. They put Kirk on audio. And Decker says, I assume command according to regulations. And Kirk says, so you're the lunatic that almost destroyed my ship. Then he orders Spock to relieve Decker of command. So Decker turns the bridge over to Spock and then Spock orders the Commodore to report to sickbay for an examination. And next thing we see is Decker down by the shuttlecraft hangar deck. 
So on the shuttle deck, we see the shuttlecraft take off and exit the Enterprise. So Kirk asks, why are they launching a shuttlecraft? And Palmer tries to raise the shuttlecraft. Decker finally responds. He says, there's no way to damage the ship from the outside, so I'm going to take this thing and fly it right down its throat. We see Decker flying in. He goes like kind of like a silent scream as he goes in and the lights get really bright and he disappears into the maw of the alien. <laughs> what did you have for dinner? I could hear it just sitting here. That was the last sound we heard from uh, Decker. <laughs> what were the name of those adult diapers again? <laughs> North Shore adult diapers. <laughs> Oddly enough, they did not contact us to be a sponsor. So weird. I know. Thought we did a good job. Yeah, sure. We're going to get a couple emails from them. Cease and desist email. What if they sent us like a sample and said, you know, if you, you before we sponsor you, we want to know that you actually have tried our product and that you believe in it. You can really back it. So if they, <laughs> so Dana, if they sent us a sample and said, you've got to wear it for like an entire day, and you have got to make poopies, <laughs> would you be willing to do that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was like yeah. no hesitation, Dana. <laughs> like no hesitation there. I dream of the day I go back to diapers, you know. I mean, just... <laughs> so you, so let me, let's just, before we move on, I just want to make, make this clear. You're going to wear the diaper. Well, I just assumed if I was going to wear one, you were going to wear no. one. No, 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 no. It's a bad <laughs> assumption, Dana. So again, just before we get back to the show, which we're going to do momentarily because we're almost done with this godforsaken thing, you're going to wear the diaper. It, it would have to be more than one day. If you don't poop in it, you got to keep wearing it. But the thing is, you got to do both. Otherwise, the experiment's not valid. Yeah, I can normally do both at the same time. <laughs> God, <this> is... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Welcome to the show about Dana's bathroom habits. <laughs> He's just informed us. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> We, we, we got to move on here, but so I think we're where we are. Okay, I think where we are. And listening back to the show, we'll, we'll I think, verify this fact. Okay, Dana, look, I'll take one for the team too. We'll both take one for the team. You and I will both agree <laughs> that we'll wear a, a diaper. Not the same diaper, different, different diapers. <laughs> yeah. Well, if it's the same, then I'm wearing it first. <laughs> I'll send it to you. <laughs> I got tears streaking down my face. I'm just dying here. All right, we've established a few things, and we got to move on. So we're we're gonna move on. Really, we promise, listeners, if you've made it this far, we gotta hit the uh, the ramble jar a few times. <laughs> oh, okay, so Dana's gonna wear a diaper. I'm gonna wear a diaper. Separate diapers, not the same diaper. So that we've established that, and then we have to find some kind of metric to determine whether we endorse this diaper. North Shore is only going to send us one each, probably. I mean, right? They're not going to send us multiple diapers. <laughs> well, knowing how full of shit we are, they might uh, <laughs> send us a couple boxes. <laughs> Maybe what we should do is ask the North Shore adult diaper people what they want, and then we'll go from there. Go away. That's what they want. <laughs> 
Never mention our name again. Okay. Yep. Okay. Can we get back to the show now? So Spock checks and says there was a drop, but it's negligible in its emanations. That wouldn't count. That would not count for the diaper thing. <laughs> Cannot be negligible. <laughs> Got to be objective evidence. <laughs> oh, son of a... So the transporters are working now, but Kirk says he and Scotty will stay on board. Spock says there is little to be gained by staying on the Constellation. And Kirk says, except for the destruction of that thing out there. Kirk asked Spock, Am I correct in assuming that a fusion explosion of 97 megatons will result if a Starship impulse engine is overloaded? No, sir. 97.835 megatons. But that line by Spock was pretty funny, I thought. It's what makes Spock Spock. And he's had that kind of response several times throughout the first and second season, where he's corrected Kirk. Kirk's plan, however, is not to penetrate the hull, but to trigger the explosion while the constellation is inside the alien machine. So he orders Scotty to rig a 30-second delayed detonation device for the impulse engine overload, which Kirk can set from the auxiliary control. Kirk says he's going to ram the Constellation right down that thing's throat. Scotty shows Kirk how to set the timer and says, see you, loser. (laughs) (laughs) I actually set it to go off in 20 seconds, but you'll figure that out in a minute. Kirk orders Scotty to beam aboard the Enterprise. Transporter officer Kyle trying to get Scotty aboard. And Scotty's kind of like there and then he's not. And then he looks like he's materializing and then he's not. Finally, Scotty beams aboard and he comes off the transporter pad and says, what's wrong with that thing? They say it's a power drain and he goes off to fix it. They report to Kirk that the transporters are down, but Kirk says there's no time. We see Scotty in the Jeffries tube. Sparks are flying overhead and Spock tells him speed is of the essence. Scotty finishes his work and calls the bridge and says the transport is working, but Kirk has to come off now. Kirk waits till nearly the last second and he throws the switch to arm the bomb. The Enterprise goes to beam him aboard and the transporter pad shorts out. Scotty jumps back in the Jeffrey tube and Kirk waits to be beamed out. And then the transporter pads keep rumbling and giving off smoke. Scotty jumps down and calls to transport Kirk. The ship goes into the alien's mouth and we see the alien ship give off a blue explosion and then it all goes dark. Kyle is trying to get Kirk in the transporter and it's kind of like looks a little fuzzy and then all of a sudden Kirk is there. So on the bridge Spock reports the alien's energy output is zero. And Kirk comes on the bridge. Spock says, welcome aboard. He reports the alien ship is dead. Then Kirk points out that the irony that they ended up using a form of an H-bomb, the doomsday machine of the 20th century to destroy this alien doomsday machine. Spock wonders if there might be other devices like that wandering the universe. Kirk sincerely hopes not, as he found the one they encountered to be quite sufficient. So that's how the show ends, Dan. Dana, William Wyndham starred as Matt Decker in the show. You have some information about him. First off, the writer who wrote this wanted the actor Robert Ryan to play uh, Matt Decker. And Ryan, who is a movie actor and stage actor, wanted to do the role, but he had a scheduling conflict. I think Wyndham did a great job. I think he might be my favorite guest star so far in any of the episodes we've seen. Yeah, I, I thought he was fantastic. He worked mostly in television, but also appeared 
appeared in several movies, most notably To Kill a Mockingbird. Who did he play in that movie, Dane? I forgot. He was the prosecutor. Also Robert Duvall's first movie as Boo Radley. Man, see, people learn a lot of stuff on this show, Dana. Okay, they have to listen to a lot of crap to kind of get to it. But it's worth it just for the knowledge that they gain. Yeah, totally. He performed a one-man play about James Thurber, which was called I, Thurber in the early 80s. Actually came to my college campus. I wanted to see it, but it cost money and I didn't have money. Dana, what was the real reason? I was at a bar drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much the start of my college career. That's where I was. So it's a... Amazingly enough, Wyndham did not make the connection between Commodore Decker and Captain Ahab until much later when a reporter asked him about the similarities. Sadly, he died in 2012 at the age of 88. Oh, so he can't be on the show. Nor would he want to be, but... Dan, do you want to talk about themes and dilemmas? Yeah, I think the last scene, it was like getting hit over the head with a frying pan. And it would have been even more so for the people in the 60s when Kirk says, you know, something about the doomsday machine of the 20th century was the hydrogen bomb. In 1967, they were only six years removed from the Cuban Missile Crisis. People would have remembered this where the world was brought to the brink of nuclear war, probably within hours or less. Today, in 2023, we don't really think about nuclear weapons very much, but yet both countries, the United States and Russia, as well as others, are armed to the teeth. And one mistake could bring this whole thing crashing down. So what about you? What dilemmas did you see in this episode? You know, for Kirk, it's obviously to stop this machine. For Matt Decker, it's an obsession. It's uh, revenge. The whole Moby Dick thing, you know, really stood out to me in this episode. But then at the end, revenge is never as sweet as we want it to be. Dana, what was one of your best parts in this episode? William Wyndham. I was really impressed watching this again, how good he was, how on the verge of insanity he looked. Do you have another best part? Yeah, I did. I thought the pacing of the action in the show was really good, especially when Kirk is trying to destroy the machine. I mean, it all, I thought, went really, really well together. How about you? Did you have another best part? Scotty saves the day. I mean, he set up the timer. He fixed the transporter. Dana, what was the worst part of this episode for you? This seems like a nitpicky thing, but the navigation sitting next to Sulu when he wasn't bouncing around in his seat for no reason looked bored as shit all the time. (laughs) He didn't have any lines, did he? No, probably because of his poor attitude. (laughs) How about for you, Dan? You got any worse parts? Uh, When the planet killer is destroyed, it shoots out what looks like, you know, would come out of fire extinguisher, this kind of smoky stuff. I mean, it was kind of anticlimactic. How about you? Know the worst part? No, Uhura. Palmer did a fine job, but it's just not Uhura. I miss her when she's not there. Dana, what do we have for this day in history? Dan, this was uh, released October 20th, 1967. Start with music. So the number one song in the U.S. was To Sir With Love by Lulu. The number one song in Britain. Oh, Dana, I hope it's not our friend Engelbert. Right up there with Engelbert is uh, the Bee Gees and the song Massachusetts. Also on this day, a purported Bigfoot is filmed at Bluff Creek by Roger Patterson and Robert Gimlin in North Carolina. I think that is the iconic Bigfoot that everyone, if they've ever seen a Bigfoot sighting film, it would be that one. Finally, Dan, guilty verdicts were returned against Neshoba County, Mississippi Deputy Cecil R. Price and six other defendants for violations.
violations of federal civil rights laws in connection with the 1965 murder of three civil rights workers in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Trial was held before an all-white jury in the U.S. District Court in Meridian. The defendants received sentences ranging between three and ten years in prison. Dan, do you want to move on to the counts? Yeah, let's do it, Dana. How about the dead crewman count for this week? There was casualties, but we never hear about anybody being dead. I'm saying zero. Now, I... I know this is going to be a stretch, and I think I know what your answer is, but anyway, Dana, anyway, we can count Decker's crew because they lost all 400. (laughs) I mean, that would really put our total way up there. I thought you were just going to ask about Decker. I didn't even think just about Decker. Well, what do you think? Should we count Decker? I mean, he was the commander of the Enterprise for a little while. But he was the commander of the Constellation. All right, so zero. So we've got 35. How about a shirtless Kirk Rip shirt Kirk count? Not even close. Yeah, zero. So a total of 10. He's dead. Zero. Zero for a total of six. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. I'm a doctor, not a mechanic. Yeah, it might not have made a lot of sense, but it counts. So we got one for this week, a total of six. How about the supreme being count? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about whether or not we could count the uh, doomsday machine as a supreme being. There's no way. No. I agree with you. Yeah, there's no way. So zero, a total of seven violation of the prime directive. Now, should they have tried to talk to the... uh this lamprey eel thing in space and try to convince it that its ways were bad instead of just blowing it up. What do you think, Dan? I think Kirk should have tried to talk this thing to death. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think so either. Zero for a total of five. Dana, what do we have coming up next week? Next week is Cat's Paw, not to be confused with the Casbah. I'm just hoping that next week's episode is for us is a little bit easier. This is this was the hardest one I think we've ever done. I think when the Star Trek episode is really good, I, and I thought this one was really good, I think it's harder to like make fun of it. There's just not as much in there to get in and kind of tear it up. Next week, we've got something that we can work with. It's right up our alley. I think so. Well, Dana, it was fun. Even though this one was kind of difficult, still a lot of fun, especially all the stuff we had to cut out. If only the listeners could hear how we couldn't even talk, we were laughing so hard with tears literally streaming down our faces. I still had a great time and I look forward to next week. Same here, Dan. It's always a pleasure to get together and talk about Star Trek. Until next week, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on Facebook, Twitter, or YouTube. Make sure to join Dan and Dana next week for the episode Cat's Paw. Until then, enjoy the rest of your week, and remember to live long and prosper.